if you're if you've been here for a long time, um, or if you're like brand new to to River of Grace, this is your first Sunday. It's a good Sunday to be here, or whether you're tuning in online because you're one of the many families who are traveling over the holiday weekend, because um, we're taking a one-month break from our Gospel of Luke series, and we're going to look at um, an updated vision and mission for River of Grace Church that we're entitling Focus. Now, back in March, the elder team at River of Grace went away on a little retreat um, and in a house, we run a house on Lake Ossipee in March, which is a great time for swimming. And um, and at that retreat, we kind of sat around, and it's a time for us to connect together. It's a time for us to pray for our church. It's a time for us to to dream a little bit about what God has for us. And one of the things we did was we kind of just sat around after spending some time in prayer, and just we looked back. We looked back on the the history of our church. And, and where God has brought us. We traced God's hand um, throughout our 21-year existence now. And it's a beautiful thing to see God's faithfulness through all of those years. And we looked at our present. Who's our church now? And what has God done in the past, in the past year or so? And recognizing that there's been a lot of transition, like David switched to full-time Acts 29 and as the mission pastor here, and um, myself into the role that I'm in here. And we kind of looked and said, well, man, like we, we're kind of on the other side of the pandemic now. Like, who are we as a church? And that led to some really healthy discussion. And, and then we looked forward to, like, where do we think God's taking us? Where do we think he wants to lead us? What kind of church do we want to be in light of what scripture says, in light of where we feel his spirit leading us? And so that lead, led to, to then crafting an updated vision mission for our church. We're kind of using those things interchangeably. Mission is mission is simply like, what do we do? Like, how do we do what we're we're called to do. That's our mission. And vision is the picture of what could be with the conviction that it should be. So, so mission says, this is what we're doing. Your mission is to do this. And vision says, this is what we believe we should see. And we kind of combine these into one statement and we ended up with this. So river at river of grace, our mission is to make disciples who rest, walk and share in the love of Jesus. We like labored like more than you would care to be a part of. We spent hours on those words. You're like, really? You spent hours on that? You guys aren't that smart. Um, but, but no, because we, we, we believe that like what we want to see is we want to see people who are resting in the love of Jesus. We want to see people who are, who are walking in the love of Jesus. And we want to see people who are sharing that love of Jesus with the world around them. Because we think we have as a society, lost what it means to, to walk in love and the love of God. So, as we, today we're going to look at the last part of that mission vision statement. We're going to look at the love of Jesus. Before we do, and I know it's going to be weird, and I promise we're not a cult if you're new, but I'm going to have you say, say this with me together. You ready? I know it's not underlined, but you can handle it. Ready? Our mission is to make disciples who rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus. So today we're going to look at the love of Jesus because everything 
flows from and for the love of Jesus as a church. As a Christian, as followers of Jesus, we believe that everything flows from and for the love of Jesus. That we're supposed to live from his love and that we're supposed to, to, to live for it. To live for it displayed in the world. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3 with me. Ephesians, if you don't, if you aren't familiar with the Bible, and that's okay if you're not, Ephesians is a letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And what we're going to look at is a, is, a, is a passage right in the middle of that letter. And it is a prayer, a beautiful prayer that Paul prays for this Ephesian church. And I believe that it is something that he prays for us he would pray for us too. And I think that Jesus, as our, as our great intercessor, who's the scripture says he lives to intercede for us. He's interceding for us before the Father right now. I think this is what he would pray for us too. So Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. You give us your word because it's a lamp for our feet and it's a light for our paths. Lord, we want to be a church that is guided and shaped and formed by what you say. Lord, would you do that now by your spirit, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Typically at River of Grace, we kind of work systematically through a passage as we work through a book, but we're going to do something slightly different here, not not a whole lot different, but we're going to let this passage serve as a springboard and a, a little bit of a framework, a guide for talking about the love of Jesus. And why love? Well, love is a funny thing. It's a funny thing, isn't it? And we love all sorts of things. We don't have a lot of words for love in the English language. In Greek, there's at least four words for love. Um, But as a culture, we love all sorts of things. A song pops up on your Spotify playlist and you say, man, I love this song. The Steelers come on TV and you're like, man, I love the Steelers. You take your kid to an amusement park for the first time and find out that they love roller coasters, right? We love food. We love travel. We love hobbies. We love camping. Just kidding. No one actually loves camping. We see a happy couple and we say they're in love. At a deep level, we know that love is necessary. We're drawn to stories of love. Stories of sacrifice, stories of bravery and courage, whether that is love for a 
a person or love for a country or a cause. We are, we are creatures of love, and we love those kind of inspirational stories. What's more is, as creatures of love, we know that when love is withheld from a spouse or a child, it's wrong. We know scientifically that the love of a mother and a father is essential to a child's flourishing. UNICEF would say this, says this on your website, providing your child with love and affection is a prerequisite for the healthy development of their brain, their self-confidence, their capacity to thrive, and even their ability to form relationships as they go through life. We are creatures of love. Love is necessary. It's necessary for our development. And we know this true to be true experientially because the love of another changes us, whether it's the love of a spouse or you had great parents growing up and you just know that this is true because they were, they were good parents. They loved you. And you know that, and it's kind of given you self-confidence, and it's given you all of those things it's talked about. And some of us know this to be true because of experiences we've had with parents that weren't so great, that did withhold love, that were not present to us, that made us feel like we were less than being loved, than worth being loved. Some of us bear those wounds. But have you ever asked, where did that instinctual desire to be loved and to love come from? Well, simply put, the answer is because we're made in the image of a God who is love. John writes in 1 John, he says, God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. God is love. At the core of who God is, he is a loving God. He cannot not love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed before creation in triune community of love. It is who God is, and it is the default mode of his operation. God created the world in love. He's in an eternal relationship in love, and he is the source of all that is loving and good and true in this world. And we were made in his image. So it is no wonder that we were people shaped by the love of other people, because we're made in the image of a relational God who loves us. So Paul opens the section right in verse 14 and says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Love starts with God. To, to understand what love is, to understand what is good and true and beautiful in the world, we need to understand that we have a God who is love. That he dictates what it is and what it isn't. And if we're going to live rightly in the world, we're going to try to relate to this God who has related to us in love. So that's the why of love. Why we're looking at love is because we have a God who is so infinitely loving that he sent his son into the world for us. That is our God. He is a God of love. And we are called to live in the 
in the shadow of that love, in the safety of that love, and in, which is our next point, the way of his love. Paul goes into his prayer and he prays a bunch of different things that we're not going to have to time to look at all of them. But he prays that we would be rooted and established and that we would comprehend and know the love of God. Paul wants the church in Ephesus and he wants you to be rooted and established in love. There are two different metaphors that Paul uses. One is about gardening and the other is about building or construction or architecture. When something is rooted, the roots sink down deep into the ground. When we see like a mighty oak tree or one of those towering maples, we, we know that the, the roots of that tree has sunk into the ground in such a way that, that they can, provides life and it provides nourishment for that tree. It's where, where it gets all of its nutrients from as the water permeates the soil and where and when you plant a garden, right, you, you plant your seeds in good soil that you've, that you've carefully selected. And you, you plant your seeds there and you know that that soil is going to provide the nutrients that it needs for that seed to thrive and flourish. And eventually you want those roots to sink into that soil and produce a tomato plant or what, what have you. Well, Paul is saying that in the same way, God's love, that the love of God, to be rooted in love, is to sink the roots of your life deep into who he is and what he says. To sink it into the love with which he holds you. And that in the love of God, we learn to what it means to flourish, to thrive. In the security of that love, we find hope and joy. And we find everything we need for life. That is what Paul is doing when he says, sink the roots of your life into this. I pray that you being rooted in love, that it would be a place of safety, that you would find life there. But then he also says that you should be established. So we sink our roots into the life and love of Jesus. But he also prays it would be established in his love. So building or construction terms. To be established is to be anchored and to be able to build up upon it. He's using another metaphor to convey a similar point that believers are to be unshakable and solid. And why and how? Well, because they're firm in the belief that God loves them and that they are safe in his love. There's something about being established that lets you know it has staying power, right? Like when you walk through the city of Concord or if you're down in Boston or, or any old place, you've wandered the streets of Rome or, or anywhere, you will eventually see like placards, like um, this house in Sudbury that's from 1793 or this, this cornerstone on the state house that, that tells you it's the oldest one. And you know when you see those placards and you say, man, that has been here for a while and it's probably not going anywhere. It is established as part of the historical architecture of this city. It's lasted this long and they're probably gonna it's probably gonna keep lasting. Now if we move the same metaphor over, analogy over, to being established in God's love, 
what Paul wants is for us to realize that we are held and secure, built on the foundation of God's love. The question is, what kind of love is it? Like why? Why can, be, why can we be rooted and secure in the love of Jesus? Why do we want to rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus? What kind of love does God love us with? Well, throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul has been riffing on the word love. He comes back to this word over and over and over again in the book. And like a jazz musician, he, he, he sees the music, but he gets creative with where he goes with it. So here's like a little bit of a tour of love in the first two chapters that lead before we get to chapter three and we're at. Ephesians 4, 1 through 5 says this. And what kind of love does God love us with? Check it out. Ephesians 4, or I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, 4 to 5, it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I think we got a slide for this too. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. There it is. So what kind of love does God love us with? He loves us with the love that, that from before time began, he chose to love us in Christ. In love, he predetermined, predestined, thought beforehand that he would adopt you. If you follow Jesus, this is true for you. That, that God in eternity past decided that he would love you. Knowing that you were a sinner, knowing that you were far off from him, he decided in his good love that he would love you and that he would call you a son and daughter through Christ and what he has done. And it was his will that decided it. This is a good, beautiful thing because like the love of a parent has a way of shaping us into who we are today, Paul points to this passage in Ephesians 1 and says that, listen, God loves you with such a love that he decided to adopt you. And as the son of God, his love has the ability to shape how you live in the world, give you confidence to engage. You can be rooted and established in this kind of love because it's the love of a father for his children. And any of you that have kids, you know that even when your kid is kicking and screaming and acting fully rebellious, God loves, you love that kid, and so God loves you. We are secure in that love. And it has a way of anchoring us, of establishing us, and of giving us life. And why do we have it? Well, in that same chapter, Jesus, it would, Paul would say, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and according with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. Why do we have this kind of love? It was because God decided through Christ to save you and that Christ would pull you back. God's love is a love that goes before and saves you. And he lavished on us with all of the riches of his grace in Christ. 
We have redemption through his blood. So we need to be people that behold this love, that look at the love of the Father, that look at the love of Jesus, that he would die in our place, and that he would save us and adopt us as his children. We need to behold this love. We need to be shaped by this love. We need to live in this love. We need to be rooted and established in this love. Because here's what it also says in Ephesians. What kind of love gives us confidence to be rooted and established? This kind. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his, what? His great love that he had for us, made us alive in with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. So it's a love that planned and that enacted this plan to save us. It's a love that adopts us. And it's a love that makes us alive when we were dead. This is the love of God for his children. And this is why you can be secure in his love, in the love of Jesus, because he did it. He saved you. He planned to adopt you. And he made you alive when you were dead. It's not up to you to hold yourself in the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus holds you close to him. So we live from and for the love of God. Oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I know. That in thine ocean depths this flow may rich or may richer, fuller be. It's a love that will not let his go, so you can be rooted and established. Paul wants us to, to also comprehend and to know this love. You see, you can know a lot about something and not actually know it. Right? You can know a lot about something, but until you experience it for yourself, you don't actually know it. I love hiking, and I love getting out on the trails, and I love the woods and the mountains. There's something about, um, I love the whites. And I have like the white mountain guide, right? And when I'm looking to go on a trail, I'll look up in my map, like, okay, here's the trail I need to take to get to the top of this mountain. If I'm going to climb Lincoln and Lafayette, oh, here, I'm going to go up this trail and down this trail. I can tell you all about it. I can tell you that it's going to be slippery, so you should do it clockwise or counterclockwise and all of those things. But I might know about how to get up Lincoln and Lafayette. I might know about what trail I need to take, but I don't actually know it until I've stood on that trail, until I've summited that mountain myself, until I've seen the way the the path goes, the rocks I need to scale, the branches I need to step over. Because you can know a lot about something, but until you experience experience it for yourself, you don't actually know it. Well, I think Paul wants us to know Christ's love for us intimately and experientially to know it, to believe that it's for you, not just know about it, but experience that for yourself. He wants us to know that God is love, to be rooted in it. He wants us to walk in the way of love, to be settled in it and to let it guide us. And to do that, we're going to need to behold the wonder of love. Paul continues his prayer through verse 17. If you have your Bible, take a look at it. 
He says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, and he says, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Over and over. He keeps coming back to this, saying, I want you to know this love. I want you to know Christ's love. I want you to know the height and the depth. He's, he's like running out of words. It's just, it's so wide. It's so deep. It's so long. I want you to know this love. And I want you to, be, to know that he loves you. He wants the Ephesian church to stand in awe at the wonder of this love. This love that will not let people go. He wants you to look at the vastness of his love and be amazed of it. Like you, like you visit the Grand Canyon and you stand over it and you look and as it stretches so far, if you've ever been there or flown over it. He wants you to look at it and just be amazed at his love. It's so wide. It's so deep. And then he says, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And that's not to say that the love is unknowable. It's just to say that there is more of it than your mind can come. It keeps going on. It's unfathomable. That's the love of God. But the question that I asked as I read this is why this prayer from Paul? Why did he pray this prayer? Not exactly sure. He doesn't tell us exactly why. He wants us to be filled with the fullness of God. But I think that one of the reasons this is in here is because I think all of us at the core of who we are are skeptics of this love. That we don't think and that we doubt often that God is really as loving and as free with his grace he says he is. He might not say that out loud, but most of us wrestle with this. Does God really love me? I was Sinclair Ferguson, who's a pastor, I forget where now, I think in South Carolina, Scottish guy. He was asked once, what's the, what's the hardest thing for you to believe? And he said, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. And then I was reading in a book a couple, uh, about a month ago, and it was a pastor writing about prayer. And he said that he finds that the longer he's a pastor, the more he believes the work is convincing people that God really does love them. And I can speak from my own personal experience and my own personal struggles in that I often doubt God's love for me that he really does love me and hold me. So I think we get this way because of sin. We see the sin in our own life. We see in glaringly obvious ways, the ways that we sin against God and sin against other people. You look at the habitual sin that you keep struggling with, that you keep trying to put to death in your life. And you're like, does God really love me? I think we're also skeptics 
because of past hurt. You've been in relationships with people who claim to love you. And you found out that that love wears off or runs thin or grows cold. The parent who didn't love you, the trusted relationship that was severed. And so we live with skeptical hearts, wondering if God's love is going to run out or if he's like the other people in our lives. Sins of our past, the relationships that make us question if he could be trusted. But I think what Paul wants us to see is that you can be rooted and established in love, that God is really this good. His heart for the church in Ephesus, God's heart for you and this pastor's heart for you is that you would be able to swim in the depths of the love of God, that you would never exhaust his love for you, that you would know and that you would live your life from a place of just knowing that Christ loves me and that if he loves me, my life will never be the same and that your whole life would be shaped by love because I believe God desires this for you. It's why Jesus would pray in John 15. He says, as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. Did you catch it? As the father loves the son, so the son loves you. That's his love. It's why Paul would pray in Romans, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God so desires for you to stand in awe of his love for you and to let that love change everything about you. He wants you to swim in it, to know the height, depth, length, and width of that love. African theologian, St. Augustine once said this, when asked about God's love, he said, I may know the depths, but I cannot see the bottom. What a beautiful statement. I pray that we all would know the depths, but we will never see the bottom. Pray that we would never stop exploring the love of Jesus. Paul desires that we'd be filled with the fullness of God. Knowing the love of Jesus for us. And know that this love will never leave us the same. Ever have an experience that just leaves you forever changed? First time you held your baby in, his, in your arms. When you saw your bride walk down the aisle. When you took a trip and met some people, and it changed everything about you. Well, I believe that an encounter with the love of God leaves us changed. Because it turns out that Paul doesn't stop his talk of love in Ephesians 3. It doesn't just end. But it spills over into the other chapters. That because of knowing Christ's love leaves us changed, he urges the church to bear with one another in love, to speak the truth in love. It says the church builds itself up 
in love. He calls husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Love is all the way through Ephesians because knowing and resting in God's love leads to walking in his love. As Jesus said, remain in my love, walk in it. Then it leads to sharing in God's love. As we share the good news with others and as we share in the love of God, ourselves. That's why we as a church want to make disciples who rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus because we live from and for his love. One of my favorite hymns says, the love of Christ is rich and free, fixed on his own eternally, nor earth nor hell can it remove, long as he lives his own He'll love his loving heart engaged to be their everlasting surety. Twas love that took their cause in hand and love maintains it to the end. Love has redeemed his sheep with blood and love will bring them safe to God. Love caused them all from death to life and love will finish all their strife at death beyond the grave. He'll love In endless bliss, his own shall prove the blazing glory of that love, which never could from them remove. Praise God. He holds us in that love.